Daniel 6, stand for Christ. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that um, you always provide and that you always give us what we need, Lord, right at the time of need. So I pray now, Lord, that our hearts are open to your word. The word of God is a very precious thing. And I pray that it would minister to our souls today in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could share with you one secret to a successful and productive Christian life, what would that be? And I started thinking about it. It's to stand for Christ when it matters most. Take a stand. Because the reality is compromise is always kind of knocking at the door, isn't it? The enemy of our soul does not want us to stand for the Lord. He does not. And I was thinking, you know, here you have these youth that have just spent a week ministering to the homeless down in downtown San Diego and they got a chance to talk to them and share the word with them, to pray with them, do church services, feed them. Some came to Christ. They saw absolute miracles happen. And all of a sudden, their spiritual antennas are big. They're up. They're excited. They're back. They're like, man, we're floating on a cloud of what God has done. And oftentimes, when you have this spiritual high and you come back to normal life, that's the time the enemy comes in because he wants you to compromise. He wants you to have kind of weird thoughts or do things that you never thought you'd ever do. And I thought, what kind of message would speak to these youth? Stand. Stand. When it matters most, stand for Christ. Don't compromise. I heard this great example of what compromise looks like. You ever seen a baby rattlesnake when it's first born? They're little teeny things. They're really cool though. They got like the diamonds on them and they got these little teeny things and on their little baby tail they got this little rattler, you know. And, and so you go to, to touch a baby rattlesnake and they curl up and you literally could hold it in the palm of your hand. They're so cute. <laughs> Bam! It bites you. A baby rattlesnake has ten times the strength of venom than an adult. And so they look all cute and innocent but the bite will kill you. And that's the way compromise is. It doesn't look very dangerous at first. But in the long run, it'll take your faith. And so the message today is stand for Christ. Will you stand when it matters most? And and we're going to see through the passage today in Daniel chapter 6, well-known passage, Daniel in the lion's den, right? Everybody's heard this since they were wee high. But I'm going to look at it from a different perspective on five ways that we can stand when it matters most. Now, Daniel was a man who always stood for Christ. In fact, there's nowhere when you look at Daniel where he failed in that area. Ever since he was a teenager, he stood. He stood for God, never once shirking his duty. And... Daniel chapter 5, Daniel had served under Nebuchadnezzar for almost 60 years. Nebuchadnezzar dies. His son Belshazzar takes over leadership. And Belshazzar says, you know, I'm going to throw a party and I'm going to grab all the vessels from the temple, gold and silver ones, and we're going to have a party. He pours a bunch of wine for all his friends and concubines and, and all of a sudden Han all of a sudden materializes and starts writing on a wall. But nobody can understand it because they don't know what, what it says. And so... The queen says, I know somebody who can read that. His name's Daniel. So they call Daniel in and Daniel reads it and he says, you know what? It says that Belshazzar, your days are numbered and you've been found wanting. And as a matter of fact, that night, the Medo-Persian Empire in 529 BC overran Babylon. And so our, our passage in Daniel chapter 6 begins 
with Darius the king. He takes over as king. So let's read verses 1 through through 15. Ask yourself this question as we're going through this message. How do I stand for Christ? It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom and over three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. The king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. Inasmuch as he was faithful, and no negligence of, or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, Will we not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God? Then the commissioners and the satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever. And all the commissioners of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days should be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document. That is the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, his roof chamber, he had windows towards Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, The statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or to the injunction which you have signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed, and he set his mind on delivering Daniel, and even until sunset he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is law of the Medes and Persian that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So how do you stand for God? Particularly in the midst of kind of a crazy world that we live in. The first thing we'll see is you need to establish consistency. You need to establish a consistent life of knowing him. This king Darius. Darius was uh, not much found in history about Darius. We do know through history that Cyrus was the king over the Medo-Persian Empire But the name Darius means the holder of the scepter. And it could be that he was a vassal king under Cyrus, or it could be that he was actually Cyrus himself. But honestly, I've read so many commentaries on this, no one's really clear. But this Darius is the one who's in charge of this region. Now, Darius appoints 120 satraps, and then he has three commissioners over. And it's kind of like having mayors of a city, and then you have a governor over the whole state. So Daniel would be like that governor that would kind of oversee 
all the works over these people that were, were under him, seeing the different regions within that. But it says here that Daniel distinguished himself above the others. There's something about Daniel that is just different. And some might say, well, he was very charismatic, right? He's the kind of guy when he speaks, people listen. Or, or maybe he was just a very diligent worker, but that's not what it says here. It says that Daniel had an extraordinary spirit. An extraordinary spirit. I think what it is, is Daniel had this attitude. He had an exceptional attitude that was different. He has this mind that God is sovereign. He looks through glasses that see God at work in everything. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Is your glass half full or half empty? When you wake up in, in the morning, you say, wow, what an opportunity to serve the Lord. Or, man, God help me. <laughs> right? Well, Daniel says, wow, what an opportunity to serve the Lord. He sees that God is always at work. He knows he's God's man. He wants to serve God with an open heart. And that's the call of each person in here that knows Christ. Will you be optimistic for Christ? Will you take a stand in the gap when it really matters? Daniel lives a life that is an example. And we see here two primary areas of standing for Christ here. One is private and one is public. And they're both the same. He's the same in private as he is in public. And we learn lessons when we look at him. And the first lesson is Daniel established a private pattern of consistently meeting the Lord. He met the Lord three times a day. He had an appointment with God. Do you have an appointment with God every day is the question. Have you established a pattern in your life that you actually know him because you meet him regularly? It's relational. God is a relational being. He wants to know us. It's not some guy out there or some idol or some... No, he's personal. Have you established a pattern in your life that's consistent? Well, the Lord is first. He has the priority. You have an appointment with him. What changed my life, I was maybe a year and a half in the Lord, and I went to a church, and they had a men's group, and they were studying a book called The Disciplines of a Godly Man. And I'll never forget, it changed me. Because in that book, there's one section called The Discipline of Devotion. And I read that and like the lights came on and it, and it basically just says this, do you have a place where you meet God every day? Have you set aside a special place that's your place for him? Do you have a time that you've set aside for the Lord? Do you have an appointment with God? And everything's there, your Bible, your, your notebook, colored pens, all that kind of stuff so that you regularly meet him regularly. I did a test a few years back at one of the, the men's breakfasts. I I walked up to guys, I said, hey man, how are you doing? How's your walk going? And when the guy said, not that well, I, I said, well, how's the devotions going for you in the morning? Every one of them said, I, I'm not really having one right now. Flag. And everybody I asked, hey, how's your walk going? They said, pretty good. So tell me about your devotional life. Man, I'd love to meet the Lord in the morning or I have a time at night. It was proven through that and I've seen it in my life. Well, that's Daniel. He sets a pattern in his life that he knows who God is. And he's confirmed that he's sovereign. Do that. Consistently 
meet the Lord. But Daniel's also has a pattern in public. He is the same in public as he is in private. Daniel established a consistent public worship. Consistent public worship. When Daniel said he would do something, he did it. Look at verse 4. It says, Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. He's the same in private as he is in public. They couldn't find anything against him. They're trying to scratch in their head trying to figure out how are we going to get this guy? He's perfect. He wasn't perfect. He just honored the Lord with his life. He was consistent. Anybody here an undercover Christian? Is there such a thing? I don't see it in scripture. God doesn't say to hide your light underneath a bushel. God, please call me. I'm ready, God, but I'm just hiding over here. <laughs> you know, when you call me. No. He calls us to be salt and light. To never be ashamed. To take a stand in the gap when God calls you. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Will you take a stand for Christ when it matters? That's the example we see with Daniel. Private, I have this appointment that I meet him every day, three times a day. Public, this is who I am. I love Christ. I love God. I'm going to serve him with all my heart. In standing for God, we have to establish consistency. We have to make it literally a habit. But it's not a habit that's forced. In fact, if I miss a devotion, I feel like I missed him. It's like if I'm away from my wife, I miss her. If I'm away from the Lord, I miss him. It's relational. And you don't want to start qualifying things. You know, I'm, God knows what I need, so I don't need to pray. That's a big one. Or, you know, I'm too busy and, and I, I think God understands if I just kind of put meeting him off to the side. Matter of fact, I don't need to go to church because I'm tired. No, the Lord wants you to establish this pattern of consistency so that when the crisis comes, you're ready. I read this article by a writer who wrote a really famous book. His name is Jim Collins and he wrote the book Good to Great. Very well-known secular book that talks about leadership. Actually, an excellent book. I highly recommend it. But he talks about the people that were involved with ethical problems in the falling of Enron and WorldCom. And this is what he says. He says, these people were, got drawn into compromise one step after another. If you told them 10 years ahead of time, hey, look, let's cook the books and all get rich, they would never go along with it. But that's rarely how people get drawn into activities that they later regret. When you're at step A, it feels almost inconceivable to jump all the way to step Z if step Z involves something that is totally a breach of your values. But if you go from step A to step B and step B to step C and step C to step D, then someday you wake up and you discover suddenly you're at step Y. And it's much easier to step in to step Z. He said, these people weren't crooks at the outset, but through a series of gradual compromising steps, they ended up in bad situations and in over their heads. Will you stand for Christ when it matters most and not compromise? That's the first thing. We must establish consistency. The second thing is we see is expect opposition. It's coming. Expect it. 
You take a stand for Christ, somebody is not going to like it. The enemy of our souls definitely doesn't like it. But there's a lot of other people. They get upset when you actually take a stand for Christ. Verse 4 tells us that they could not find any grounds of accusation against him. And I started thinking about if, you know, what is it with these satraps, these other commissioners, these guys that are in charge? What is it about them that they don't like about Daniel? You know what it is? They're jealous. He had an exceptional spirit. And they're jealous that this guy seems to know things that they just can't figure out because he knows the true and living God. And God gives him wisdom at the time that he needs it. So they're really, really jealous. It's kind of like, you ever, you ever been in, when you were in school and there was that one guy that was so smart, he always got the A, and he set the curve of the class, and you're kind of a C student. You hate that guy. He's perfect. What's the deal? And he's the teacher's pet and all that. kind. Of, it's, it's that way with Daniel. And what is it with this guy? And so they start conspiring. How are we going to get him? What are we going to do? How can we trip him up? Well, we can't trip him up. And anyway, but maybe we can catch him with the law of his God. The law of his God. We know he's faithful. We'll get him there. Look at verses 4 through 9. It says, The commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence of corruption was found in him. And then these men said, we'll not find ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it against in regard to his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever. And all the commissioners of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute to enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days They shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Then King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. So these guys conspire and they come up with a brilliant plan. We're going to catch them and worship because we know he does that, because he's living in public the way he lives in private. That guy prays three times a day. We'll just say... Let's make a law, can't pray. He's done. He's cooked. So what kind of opposition do you guys face? You might have a boss that comes up to you and says, you know, I want you to do something. I know it's not right, but you got to do it if you want to keep your job. Or you might have a friend that you're really close to that says, you know what, I'm doing this. And if you don't do it, I may tell somebody that you did do it. Will you stand? You might even have family members, right? What are you, holier than thou? I've heard that one from my family. And worst of all, you might even have other Christians that see you living for Christ, but they're carnal. And they feel guilty. Say, come on, man, don't be so legalistic. What are you standing for Christ for? Fudge a little, just a little. God forgives, right? Where are you going to stand? Where are you going to draw the line? Daniel draws a line. This edict comes out, and what does he do? I'm going to pray. <laughs> I do what I always did. I have a habit, a pattern where I meet God. There's a problem. What am I going to do? I'm going to go meet God. And he meets God with the windows open. So everyone can see. This is the way I've always lived my life. No difference. But these guys, when they conspire, they know what to do, they, they're smart. 
what do they do? They go and get the king's pride. Ah, kings are in charge and they kind of like to be stroked. So they come in here and say, oh, king, live forever. Oh, great one, you know. But it's interesting to me, if I'm the king, right, and you've got this whole entourage, 120 whatever plus, show up and say, you know, we've gotten together and we've made some decisions and we'd like to bring it before you, king. Where the heck is Daniel? He's the one who's supposed to be in charge next in line, but he's not there. If I'm the king, a flag goes up and thinks, something's up with this. Where is he? The other thing is, is, do you notice that they really kind of stroke his vanity? And and if I'm a person that's getting something, and this is a little weird, they're like way too nice to me right now. Third, once he signs that into law, he knows he can't change it. I mean, he's trying to figure out as a king, there's something up here. There's something fishy. didn't smell right. But no, man, he bites. They have the hook set, the bait's there, boom, he's in. It's too late. Here's a principle. Decisions made in haste are felt seldom good. Decisions made in haste are seldom good. You know what the king has after he, after he agrees to this? He has buyer's remorse. You ever had that? Buyer's remorse? On a car lot. Ooh, that's nice. I was only getting the basic model, but that one's got the leather and you know, all the stuff. And you buy it. And you get home and you're like, oh, man. Buyer's remorse. That's what he has. My wife and I, just a couple months ago, we, you know, they got, they got all these companies out now going green. You know, the whole green thing. And this guy shows up at our door and he's talking to us. And, and he's from a company called Green Monster. I should have known right there. <laughs> And, but I, I said, sure, he set up an appointment. So he came to our house and he explained how with taxes and this kind of thing, you can practically pay for all these improvements on your home, like a solar water heater and special insulation stuff and all this kind of stuff. I'm thinking, wow. That, but the problem was, Karen and I showed up, and the guy showed up about 6.30 and we were tired. And he spent about an hour and a half with us and everything just looked so good. And sure enough, man, I signed it. Oh, I went to bed that night and I'm laying in bed and I had total buyer's remorse. You ever been there? I'm just like, why did I do this? <laughs> you know, like, what, what am I going to do? Two days later, these guys show up to do the work, right? Really shady, really shady characters. And I'm letting them in my house. I'm like, mm. and they started messing up. They broke a shelf. They broke this other thing. They started messing up all this kind of stuff. And finally, at the end, I, I had to pretty much like, get out of here, man. So I started working at the bottom, working my way up in the company. Saying, I'm not paying for this. I'm not paying for this. <laughs> I finally got the president of the company. And he and I made a deal, and he said, okay, I'll null and void the contract. Well, he let me out, but the king cannot get out. It's law. It is law. And he is stuck. He has total buyer's remorse. This is what you need to know. If your faith is real, your future is certain. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it, right? If you're in Christ... You're in Christ. And he will help you persevere to the end. But in this world, expect opposition because it is coming. And it's coming quick. And as soon as you stand up for Christ, somebody's not going to like it. Now Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace, but in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. In this life it's going to be tough and you'll have people that you absolutely love that will think you're nuts because you're taking a stand for Christ. Your future's secure, but expect people won't like it. If you want to stand effectively for God, first, you need to establish consistency. Second, expect opposition. Third, once you've established consistency, maintain it. 
maintain consistency. It's easy to kind of set something in place. I'm going to do this, but will you do it tomorrow and the next day and next month and next year? Will it become a part of your life? You need to maintain consistency with the Lord. And that's what you see in Daniel's life. He just maintains it year after year after year after year. You find out where people are really when things go bad. You find out if people truly believe where their faith's at when the crisis hits. When the bills are paid and you're getting along with your, your spouse or school's looking good and things everything's kind of in place, your health is good and your kids are happy, God loves me. But when the job is on the line or your health starts to fail or you have somebody that loves you say they don't love you, that's when the test comes for your faith, will you stand then, is the question. When the test comes, Daniel stands. When the test is there, Daniel takes a stand and says, I'm not budging. Look at verses 10 through 15. Now Daniel knew that the document was signed, and he entered his house, and now his roof chambers, the windows were open towards Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks to God, as he had always been doing. These men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. And then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign the injunction that any man who makes a petition to any God beside you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion den? And the king replied, that statement's true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and the the king spoke and says, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or the injunction which you signed, but keeps making petition three times a day. And as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed. And he set his mind on delivering Daniel, and even until sunset he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or statute with the king established may be changed. These guys are like little children that caught somebody in the act. They're, oh man, we got them, you know. He's caught. And so they run to the king and says, you know, you have to honor what you just signed there. But Daniel, when you look at his life, he just maintains consistency. There's no justifying with Daniel. You know, what is prayer anyway? Or, uh, you know, I, I have been praying now for years. I think it adds up to 30 days. He doesn't do that kind of thing, does he? No, he's consistent. It's kind of like in our, in our society now, you'll, you'll hear a lot of justification for a lot of things. You know, well, my, my girlfriend loves me, so it's okay that we sleep together. It's love. And love call, covers a multitude of sins, right? Or how about this one? This is a big one now, and I'm seeing it more and more within, within youth culture. It's medical marijuana. <laughs> right? I hear it all the time now. It's like, well, it's not regular marijuana. It's medical. So there's a reason I have to... You know, get high and, you know, but we're, we're not to be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit, right? And time and time again, we'll justify our action, even though we want the compromise more than we want the Lord. But Daniel doesn't do that. He doesn't try to justify or qualify or try to wiggle out. He doesn't run to the king and ask for mercy. He understands that God is sovereign. He maintains his consistency of walking with the Lord. Daniel makes up his mind, and once his mind's set... He's going to follow Christ no matter what. I mean, you see this in his life. In chapter 1, he's just a teenager. 
He's captured in 605 B.C. Out of, out of Jerusalem. He's taken to Babylon, and right away they're saying, you have to eat the food off the king's table. Well, he's a Jew with kosher food. It doesn't work with that faith. And, and he said, I'm not going to do it. He draws the line. And God honored that decision. Chapter 2, the king has this kind of wild dream, and, and Daniel now is part of this group that are known as the conjurers and magicians because Daniel can see visions. And, and the king says, somebody needs to tell me my dream, but I'm not letting you know any bits about it. You just got to tell me. Right? And nobody can do it. And so the king says, off with their heads, man. All of them are going to die. Well, Daniel comes to the king and says, wait a minute. Let me go with, with my guys and we'll pray and seek the Lord. And maybe God will show us. And God does show them. Year after year after year, Daniel is consistent. Are you consistent? Are you maintaining consistency with Christ? It's so important. It's so easy to have things pull you out of it. You know, I've been in school, guys, for six years. And the hardest part of my walk has been maintaining consistency with Christ, keeping a devotional life with Him. I have a buddy of mine, he, he believes so much in meeting the Lord regularly, he has two um, alarm clocks, one by his bed and one across the room. How far are you willing to take it? What's it worth to you to keep the Lord first in your life? How do you stand for God? You establish consistency. You ex- expect opposition. You maintain consistency. And the third one, it's a little different. Suffer in silence. Suffer in silence. Verses 16 through 18. Read with me. The king gave orders and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. And the king spoke to Daniel. Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid it over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before the king, and his sleep fled from him. So Daniel is brought, and he's thrown into the lion's den, and they they put a stone there, and and they they seal it with either wax or clay, and and then you have the king, he stamps it with the signet ring, but then all 120 satraps... Right? The whole thing is stamped. And I think that's because those satraps and leaders, they didn't want the king to somehow wiggle out of this. I mean, this thing is totally marked up. There's no way he can break that seal. But you don't see Daniel here crying out in desperation. Matter of fact, you don't see him say a word until verse 21. Daniel's quiet. Daniel in this passage is just waiting for God to move. He's not vacillating. He's not saying, oh, king, help me. He doesn't hire a lawyer. I'm going to sue. He doesn't do anything except wait on God. Our Lord was like that. Isaiah 53, 7 says that he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. And like a lamb that was led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. There was no rationalization here in Daniel. There's no vacillating there's no kind of clamoring and going to everybody he knows and saying, oh, what am I going to do? And I want to qualify this a little bit because you know, we, we believe that you need others praying for your needs. I mean, that's very scriptural. We have prayer in front after every service, right? So I'm not saying you don't ask people to pray, but what I'm saying is, is who's first that you go to? Are you willing to wait a little while for God to move? Are you willing to give him first place? When, when a crisis hits, does everybody in the whole community know or do you wait on the Lord for a bit and say, you know, Lord, I'm waiting on you. This is what Daniel does. He seeks God in his sovereignty. He seeks God in who he is and he says, I'm going to put my faith right there. 
Stand there in Christ. Stand. Psalm 34.22 says, The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take a refuge in him will be condemned. It's good to let people know, but I think it's better to seek the Lord first. Quietly submit yourself to whatever the tribulation is and say, God, I'm going to submit myself to this, that you have something to show me that I may not know what it is, and I'll wait. And then you go to a close friend and say, I'm I'm struggling with something, would you pray? I think what it is, another thing they're showing here is Daniel's not a complainer, he's not a whiner. Oh, why does God want to do this to me? And you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. He doesn't instantly go to blame; he instantly goes to faith. And that's the picture here of suffering in silence. It's faithful because he knows God is faithful. I mean, Daniel, year after year, God is faithful in his life, and that's what we see here: him trusting God completely. You stand for God, you establish consistency, and then you expect you know opposition's coming, and then you maintain that consistency. You suffer silently before the Lord. And the last thing is we wait for deliverance. Let's read uh, 19 through 23. Then the king arose at dawn and, and break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? My God, my, Daniel spoke and said, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel And shut the lion's mouth that they may not harm me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. Here's a key. And also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. Little dig on that one. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him, because he trusted in his God. Kind of an interesting picture. You have Daniel, you have the king, you have contrasts here. The king goes home and the guy can't eat. In fact, he can't even have the dancing girls come in, right? He says he he had no dance, he had no no partying. He's got his stomach's upset. So he goes to bed and he doesn't sleep a wink. All night he's counting down. We've all had those nights you just can't sleep and you can't wait. When's when's it going to be morning? I'm done. So he's waiting because at morning light, that injunction's broken. He can go check out and see what happens to Daniel. So he's kind of in an intense situation here. And the king gets out and he runs. Look, I think he's got a bed head. He's got his jammies on. He's, you know, he's right there. And he's at the den and he cries out and he says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you from the lions? Listen, right? Now, the contrast, Daniel. Daniel's stuck with lions, a bunch because later on we'll see the bad guys get thrown in there, 120 of them, they get all eaten up. So there's a bunch of lions in there. They're hungry, they're mean. But there's an angel basically over here, got the mouth on this one, okay, got the mouth on this one. I think Daniel slept. I think he's in that den and he's comfortable. He's like, God's got my back. It's a principle here. The one who is offended but trusts in Christ can rest. If you've been offended by someone, if you've been hurt, even in the offense, you can rest because God has you back. But the one who did the offense can't rest. God will make their life miserable. He will make their life miserable. 
So Daniel responds to the king and he says, King, live forever. My God sent an angel to shut the lion's mouth. They have not harmed me and I was found innocent before him. And also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. Now, that's an interesting one because Daniel actually had committed a crime, hadn't he? There was an injunction not to pray for 30 days and what did he do? He prayed. So he actually committed a crime. And here's another principle you must know. It's no crime to disobey human government to obey God. It's no crime to obey God first, even if the government says you can't do that. Preach the word of God. Share the gospel. Pray in public. You can stand for God when it counts. And you have to ask yourself in your situation, are you in the midst of waiting right now? Have you had a loved one that just broke your heart and you're trying to figure out what's God going to do with that? Have you have a friend that you guys are really tight, but all of a sudden they're no longer really a friend because they just can't figure out why you like this Jesus better than them? Were you let go of a company and you suddenly are waiting on God to provide and you're wondering, what's he going to do? And I'm waiting, Lord. Or maybe you have a child that you love dearly and he doesn't trust the Lord anymore. He's departed from the faith and you can't figure out what to do. May I say, wait on the Lord. Take this principle to heart on this one. This is a test of your faith. And James tells us that these kind of tests, they they produce within us a perseverance. That when we come out the other side, guess who gets glorified on it? The Lord. When you rush in and you try to change things up and I'm going to do this deal, I'm going to make it happen, I'm going to hire these lords, God's not glorified in that. But God is glorified when you wait patiently on Him. But waiting on God is difficult. It's tough. But Daniel takes the higher road, and that's what I'm calling you to do, is take the higher road on this one. And trust God that he'll fight the battle for you because he truly is sovereign. Now look at the remaining verses. It says, Then the king gave the orders and they brought, this is verse 24, the king gave the orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them and their children and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in the land, May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. When God redeems a situation, it's always so much better than we try to make it work. Have you ever noticed that? When we actually just kind of wait and let him do the work, it's amazing. It's amazing how it all seems to fit together. And then we can glorify the Lord. We can praise Him because we just know, man, it was Him, it wasn't me. He did it. I didn't do it. When we wait for the Lord's deliverance, God is glorified. When we give Him time to work, He works perfectly in His timing. So to conclude this, Daniel's life is an example for us. His actions, his testimony give an expression to the faithfulness of God, who God truly is. So I have to ask you, will you starting today, 
establish consistency in your Christian life and faithfully seek the Lord every day? Will you stand for Christ in the midst of opposition, knowing that it may cost you something, but that God is faithful? Will you maintain consistently consistency over the years so that you can look back and give glory to God? Will you suffer in silence, seeking the Lord first, putting Him on the throne first in your life? And will you wait for deliverance patiently, knowing that the Lord is still on the throne, He hasn't moved, and He definitely, definitely knows what's best for you and me? Let's pray. Well, Father, I thank You that You've given us the Word of God, that it can minister to us, Lord, right where we're at, And in this room, Father, we have every different situation a life can offer. Some here, Lord, are having a really good year. And you've been so faithful, and and they're kind of riding on the crest of your faithfulness, Lord, and they praise you for it. There are others here, Lord, they've had the toughest year they've ever had, and and they're not sure what you're doing, and, and and the why questions are plaguing them. And they're... And they're at the edge, Lord, of compromise. And and so, Father, we ask that by your grace and by your spirit, you may strengthen each of us, Lord, for the task at hand. May you call us to stand. That you may receive the glory and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.